0: To the book of Exodus, I'd like to draw your attention to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter one, and uh, for the sake of you standing tonight in time, we'll just read our focus verse together. For those of you who are not familiar with what we're doing here on Wednesday nights, most of the time on Wednesday, we... Teach from our Focus 52 chapter, which is the chapter that our entire church has been in all week for 52 weeks. And this week, our chapter is Exodus 1. Um, If you don't have a physical copy of that devotion that my mother writes every week, uh, you can pick that up in the lobby at the Welcome Center, or you can go to our website, scroll down to the bottom, click on Focus 52, Download that devotional. Be praying. There's always a focused prayer, a focused memory verse, and uh, a way that we can be together in the word every week. So I want you to please buy into that. It helps so much. And then when we come together on Wednesday night, it's like we just all have a little bit of an idea of where we're going. And it helps so much. So let's go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 12 together. If you're there, say amen. If you've gone past Joshua, like you've already missed it. If you're in Matthew, you've missed it by a mile. So just go way, way back. Exodus chapter 1 and verse number 12. Let the church say amen. amen. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. The more they afflicted them. The more they afflicted them, think about it, the more they multiplied and grew. Praise God. You may be seated. This chapter tells us that if we move back up to the sixth verse, it said that Joseph had died and all of his brethren and all of that generation and it said that the children of Israel in verse seven were fruitful. And this language is, is powerful. They were fruitful and increased abundantly. They increased abundantly. Now, increase is a language of addition. Okay, so they increased abundantly and multiplied. So it was an exponential growth that God had put on them. And as we read through this, we have an understanding that when the children of Israel came into Egypt, there were approximately 70 families of people that came into Egypt. But as the oppression of the Egyptians came on them, they began to grow and grow and grow. And God took them from 70 families to a great nation of people. It's something that messes with our minds that, at least it always has been with me, it's that I feel like sometimes going into a battle with God that I'm like the minority. I don't know, maybe it's like this underdog syndrome. That when you walk in you feel like I'm already outnumbered, the odds are already against me, I don't know what I'm going to do. But God shows us through His Word time after time after time that there is no such thing as being a minority when God is with you. The Scripture shows us very plainly that the problem was that Joseph has died, his brothers have died, and the Bible tells us by verse number 8 that there was a new king, a new pharaoh in Egypt, That did not know Joseph. It was Joseph that brought the favor of the Lord to the land. It was Joseph that had prepared a place in Goshen. It was Joseph that made a way. And the issue now is that we have a political leader that does not know Joseph. And so you would think whenever a world political power moves into place that does not know God and does not know God's man and does not know the history, that surely God's people are just going to fall apart. Because that's a picture that we get. that when the kings of the earth rise up that have been put in place and they don't know anything about and you oh well that that's what's going to happen right there. The Antichrist is going to come and he's going to shut everything down. Good luck. Find me a place in the scripture where the Antichrist shuts the church down. Come on, somebody. Find me one place that an evil king was able to stop and stifle the plan of God. Everywhere you look, whether it's into captivity, perhaps we need to back up and look at why they were there in the first place. They were there to learn a lesson, but even in captivity, there was a hand of God That was on them. And even in a strange land. They had a song. And even in strange places. The hand of God was upon them. So I'm saying to somebody tonight. You need to be encouraged in the Lord. Don't worry about a Pharaoh. That doesn't know anything about Joseph. That doesn't know anything about the kingdom of God. Listen to what I'm telling you tonight. If God is for you. If God be for us. who? Can be against us. And so it doesn't take very long to get to the bottom of the story. And figure out what the real problem is. To find out why the slavery becomes deeper and harder and and more abundant. And the stripes are deeper and the beatings are worse. All of this. Why does that happen? Why are they facing greater hardship than they've ever faced? I think it's a good question. And it certainly is dealt with in the ninth verse. The ninth verse is the key that turns all this around. It was a Pharaoh that did not know Joseph. And the Pharaoh, the king that didn't know who Joseph was, says to his people. Watch this language. Behold. In other words, look at this. And you're going to find out that the people of the children of Israel... Are more and mightier than we. Are you hearing the language of that? The enemy had to admit. That he had become the minority. Think about this. Let this settle in. We're going to control these people. We're going to manipulate these people. We're going to make them what we want them to be. But we've got a problem. They're greater than we are. They're mightier than we are. Do you know why the enemy is pushing back against the end time church the way that he is? Because we're greater. Amen. We're mightier. We're stronger. The enemy wants you to believe the news that the 5% of the United States of America population is the, is the majority in what's going on. Just because they have the microphone does not make them the majority. God has always been able to do more with the remnant of his people than the world could ever do with the majority of people. You get in the scripture and stuff starts messing with your mind when you see God bringing in men and saying, I'm going to make you a mighty man of God. I'm going to make you a mighty man of God. You're going to win mighty battles. And then the Lord immediately takes him down to a river and he says, look, I'm fixing to start stripping you down of men right now. I'm going to strip you down. I'll strip you down. The Lord says, You got too many men. Oh, Lord, how can I have too many men? Like that, that's that's foolishness. How can we go into a battle over prepared? How how do we do this? And I think the principle that the Lord's trying to get us to understand here is not that great men are selected by how they lick the water. If you've, if you've ever read that story in the scripture, you said, look down the ones are lapping like a dog, you know, that that's gonna be no no. And and it's not that God wants to strip us of everything. It's that there comes a place that we cannot afford to get to, even in this church age, and I always guard against this in this local assembly, that you can get to the place where you are talented enough and have enough power on your own that if you were to gain victory, then you would take the glory for it. Oh, boy. And that's why sometimes God has to strip us of some things that make us feel powerful because we start to believe in the number. We start to believe in who we are rather than who He is. And so the Lord said, I'm going to have to strip some things from you, take some of these men from you, because this time you're not going to be able to get the glory for winning this thing. Why is it that we feel like we're being punished by God? And I, I do the same thing. I'm asking we as in me and you both. Why do we feel like we're being punished from God when we go through seasons? He has stripped things from our lives like he has never given us back everything and more that we've lost before. You understand what I'm saying? It's like history does not teach us anything at all. Like we... You name me a time that the Lord took something from our hands that he didn't give us back that and more and we came out victorious. Name me one time in your life that the Lord failed you and let you walk in when you didn't think you had enough and you came out with your tail tucked between your legs and said, well, I guess the enemy got the best of me there and you had God to blame for that. It's quite the contrary as a matter of fact. I found that when I go in and I don't feel like I have enough, that's when I realize that he is more... That enough amen so the Lord teaches us to depend on him and so the children of Israel were not they were not in a good place mentally because they weren't ready and this is where God's bringing this church this is how I, I want to slow this down and get this down deep into your spirit tonight I want you to know what the enemy is saying about us okay The Lord shows the enemy's hand right here. He said that the Pharaoh looked at his people and said, They're greater. But how is it that people who are greater spend the rest of their time in Egypt being trampled under the lesser's foot? Am I helping anybody yet? This is all part of the perception of how we view ourselves. I want you to know tonight what the enemy is saying about you. And I want to tell you that the enemy, when he is talking to the Lord about you, he's not saying the same thing he's saying to you. Because he's telling you you're not enough. He's telling you you'll never be enough. He's telling you you're less than what God can do anything with. He's telling you your mistakes are too many. He's telling you your past is too dark. But that's not really what he thinks about you. This Pharaoh came out and called him dogs. You're a dog. Get under our feet. We're going to beat you into submission. You're going to do what we've told you to do. But when he got back into his closet with his people, into his chambers with his people, he said, Behold these people. They are greater. You know what I believe the enemy is saying about FPC tonight? I believe that the enemy is conversing tonight. Among the hordes of hell. And he's saying I really am afraid. That this church is waking up to realize. Who God has called them to be. I believe that the enemy is looking at you tonight. And he's saying oh God. I hope they don't wake up tomorrow morning. And really realize who they are. I I want you to think. I'm going to give you biblical proof about this, okay? I'm going to give you biblical proof that it was a mindset problem in the children of Israel, okay? Uh-huh. Can we do Bible? Is that all right? Sure. Oh, Lord, if we can't do it, well, what, you want me to get People Magazine? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> how do we know that it's a, uh, it's a mindset problem? I'll tell you how we know. Because it's a trend. Uh-huh. It stays with them. There you go. It's part of who they are. How do you know, Pastor? Because God carries them through 40 years. Gets him to their promised land. Send in 12 spies. Two of them come out with grapes. Ten of them come out with gripes. It seems to be the. Kind of the, the, the consensus right. The majority is always going to have something. Bad to say about what God's doing. And what was the report. The wicked reports what the scripture said. What was the wicked report. When they came out. Listen. They said, there are giants in the land, and we are as grasshoppers in our sight. We don't view ourselves as overcomers. And Caleb and Joshua were like, hey, 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 have you seen the grapes? Hey! They're like, well, we're a bunch of grasshoppers. And they're like, have you seen these grapes? Have you seen the goodness of God? Caleb and Joshua are saying, hey, vineyards, we didn't plant. Houses, we didn't build. And the 85% are saying, we're grasshoppers. We're too small. We can't do it. Now listen, I'm not going to preach about the negative report. I want to fast forward over them and I want to show you something. The power of Caleb and Joshua and their good report was enough to get them in the promised land. God did not let the negativity of the grasshoppers. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying to you tonight, you cannot be torn down, worried, offended, turned inside out because somebody is offended at your blessing. You just keep on being blessed. You just keep on talking about favor. You just keep on talking about the goodness of the Lord. The truth is, they crossed over Jordan. They went in and possessed the promise, and it didn't matter what the 10 said. But it's obvious that it's a perpetual problem. How that comes into effect in our lives is it's a different pathway for all of us. Some of you don't believe in yourself because somebody told you not to. Amen. Some of you don't believe in yourself because a father, a mother, somebody in your life told you you'll never be enough. These are these are tough things to come to grips with. When I was a boy, we used to tell lies all the time, and this was the lie we told. I didn't realize it when I was a kid, but it's one of the biggest lies I've ever heard. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's a lie. Because some of you are held captivated as grown adults by words that were spoken to you as a child. And it doesn't matter what God says about you. You believe the report of what they said about you. And so it brings you to a place where it's very dangerous, to be honest. Because you're standing on the edge of breakthrough. the, the Standing on the cliffhanger, man. The precipice of like falling into the greatness of God and the plan of God and the milk and the honey. And all you can see is what they told you it was going to be. Lord, I want to help somebody here tonight. Harmful words, hurtful words. Things somebody said to you, a a boyfriend, a man, a husband, a a wife, somebody that told you, "You'll you'll never be enough. You're a failure. And we buy into that. And we believe that. And then you come here, and I stand up here and tell you, God believes in you. God believes in you and you go home wrestling, I know this, I know this, you go home wrestling with whether or not what God says about you is true because of what a man said to you. Broken relationships, don't know how to trust man so you put God in the same category of man. Can I just tell you tonight, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. What you need to know is God is not like your earthly father. I have a good one. I have a great earthly father. I thank God for my earthly father. But he's not like God. He has shortcomings like you have shortcomings. He's a man of God, and I thank the Lord for him. He's a Christian from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, but he's not God. And your heavenly father is nothing like your earthly father. I don't care if your earthly Father's a good man or one of the worst men that's ever occupied shoe leather. It doesn't matter what your earthly father thinks about you when your heavenly father that created you said, greater is he that's in you. So it's a it's a problem. It's a it's a it's a problem that we deal with. And I I think it's uh, I think inherently we must deal with this and, and break this down. If God's going to take this church into a deeper dimension than we've ever been, it's it's not going to happen collectively first. It's not going to happen. We are not going to another level as a body until we start moving on to different levels individually. That's what I want to deal with tonight. How, Pastor, I don't know that I believe that. Well, let's go to the Bible. How many men, now we, we don't know exactly, we believe probably... Somewhere between one and three million people. I know it's a vast difference, but it's really hard to know exactly how many there were that walked out of Egypt. Okay, so let's just use the lower number. Let's just say there was a million people. I don't care if it's a half million people. How many men did it take to finally get enough, hear the voice of God, and move an entire nation of people out of Egypt? God spoke to Moses in the wilderness and he came home with Aaron, and they walked into Pharaoh and said, let him go. God didn't speak to 500,000 people. Woo! God spoke to a couple of men and said, get a fire in your spirit. And he didn't tell them when he spoke to them, go, that when you go in there, he's going to tell you no ten times. Because God didn't want them to be worried about how many times there would be a negative report come out. God tried to put in them the first time. You're going to go tell them to let my people go and you're going to leave my people out of Egypt. Listen, that was the word of God. It didn't matter if he told them 15 times, 50 times. No. God already gave the word. And he said, Moses, you go. And you tell him, let my people go. God didn't say he's going to tell you no ten times. He said, you just tell him. And Moses had to come back and say, God, I don't know what to do. And this is the crazy part about this that we don't often read into. The Bible said that it was God that hardened Pharaoh's heart. How about, why would God do, why? Why would God harden Pharaoh's heart when he could have just let him go the first time? Why? There's a lot to be said about it. You can study the ten plagues. You can go through all that however you want to. You know, it's, it's kind of a different sermon for a different night, a different lesson, whatever. But you can believe it however you want to. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I don't believe that the ten plagues were just to prove to the Egyptians that God was God. I don't. I believe that God had to let the children of Israel start getting some things out of their system... Because when you live that way for so long, you start questioning whether your God is still God. He said, I got to get this out. I got to get this out of you. We're going through 10 plagues. And he looks at his people and he said, Well, I don't think they're quite ready. And he reaches down and touches the heart of Pharaoh again and said, I'm going to harden his heart again. Let my people go. Okay. Nope. Change my mind. God. God hardens his heart. And then the children of Israel stand back and say, Whoa. Maybe he does care about us. There is a mindset that God has to get off of us. If we're ever going to walk into promise. They, you, this, this is so powerful. You got to get this. The children of Israel did not walk out of Egypt as slaves. You understand what I'm saying? They did not leave in bondage. Why? Because you can never possess the promise as a slave. God had to start getting slavery off of them before their deliverance. you got to start seeing yourself the way God wants you to see yourself before you ever walk out of that. And I think that's a big wrestling match that we have right now that if I'll just get in the water and get baptized, this will go away. No, it doesn't. It doesn't go away if you get baptized as a slave. Woo-wee. I didn't figure it would be that quiet on that right there. Listen, slaves can speak in tongues. But it don't mean that you're free. There's got to be a, a shift in your mind that says, I'm not walking out of here as a slave. I've got the blood on the doorposts and the lintel, because I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm I'm not walking out of this trouble bound. I'm not walking out of this trouble a slave. I'm walking out free. I'm walking out covered in the blood. I'm walking out full of the lamb. God has my best interest at heart. And so then... We have to learn how to recognize victory. Now this one, Bishop, I don't know if I can dig through this or not. You have to start recognizing how to celebrate victories. Okay? Because God sets them free from slavery. So much so. Oh Lord, this is going to be tough. I'm going to dig it. When they come out of the wilderness, uh, out into the wilderness to the Red Sea, they face the first problem uh, of the Red Sea, right? And so, they start asking questions immediately. And then, seventy-two hours later, at bitter waters of mer they start asking the questions: Did God bring us out here to die? Should we go back? They weren't capable yet of handling victory. God had set them so free from slavery that literally in that one short season of Passover, they forgot about the slavery. Are you understanding what I'm saying? They forgot about the beatings. They forgot about all of that. And they wrestled. They were so They didn't know how to handle victory. And so now they're saying, well, let's go back. Because it's an issue that some of us cannot We 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 struggle with being free and with the victory because we don't. God's been so good to us, we don't remember how bad it was before He got to us. And that's why we begin to turn in the wrong direction, and there's an aberration in our step, and we move backwards, and we start going back towards the life that we lived because we don't, we don't remember, we say that we do, but we don't remember how good it felt the night our burdens rolled away. That's right. That's right. And we get into this little deal, I know I talk about it all the time, but we get in this subculture of Pentecost, this professional Pentecostalism, and we're around people that are set free all the time. And so our conversations are with free people all the time. We're with free people all the time. And we forget what it feels like to be messed up. And what we're not aware of is that Jesus taught this saying, and this one's a tough one. I, still, I wrestle with this one a lot. He said that when the Spirit leaves a man... And he comes back and finds that the place has been swept and garnished, that he'll bring back seven spirits like him and enter to the man again. What you, don't, what you don't know when you start playing those because you can't handle victory is that when you leave God this time, it's going to be that much more difficult for you to get back to God the next time. We have to start learning how to handle victory. I'm not telling you to live in your past. What I'm telling you is don't ever forget what it feels like when he brought you out. Don't don't ever. Don't ever forget what it felt like when he set you free. That's exactly why he had Joshua build that memorial. On the other side, he said, I want you to tell your kids what it felt like the day the Lord delivered you. I don't ever want you to forget what it felt like. You've got to live with the ability to celebrate victory. All right. Damn. All right. That's good. You, you, can I go a little deeper? It's like you can do drugs so heavily that you overdose and you come to God, but you're overdose, you don't remember your overdose being as bad as it was. It's like this broad brush of Hollywood comes across your lowest moments and it kind of becomes this fantasy world because it's not reality anymore. And it's like, I was, it was never really that bad. Woo! Yeah, I was a bad relationship. I mean, that guy was brutal. You know, he it it was bad. He he beat me, but he wasn't that bad. So you leave the presence of the Lord and you go right back to it. Psychologists have tried to figure this out. They work on it all the time. And I please don't let this offend anybody, okay? I'm not saying this to offend anybody. But but they, they call it like abused woman syndrome or beaten wife syndrome or what it's like they continually go back because they it's like they forget what they've been through by they figure out a way to justify in their mind that it's okay to go back and and be hurt again. And while they're trying to figure this out, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out in me. Why is it that God wants the best for me? But my recollection of the best me is when I'm at my worst. Woo. Is this too, too deep after we had such a good move of God this weekend? When I think thoughts of myself, I must think of myself the way God sees me. Because every other thought in that system, that thought processing system... Is how the enemy wants me to see me. You'll never be good enough. Well, somebody could cut this up and make me sound really bad, couldn't they? They used to do that to you at the FPC Choice Awards. They'd take something you said and cut it up. You, you never know. You'll never be good enough. You'll you'll never have enough. You'll never be smart enough. You'll never be pretty enough, you'll never, nothing, and these are the things that burn in our minds you'll never make enough money, you'll never be this, you'll never be that, and then we, we come to the Lord, and it's like, well I don't guess it was that bad we got that in the Bible, folks come to a trial and instead of believing that God can deliver, they're like, well, I'll just I mean it wasn't that bad but this is the part that I struggle with, okay Oh, Lord Jesus. Y'all got seatbelts on? I hope you do. Those people who were saying, let's go back, what they were really saying is, I'm willing to take my children back to that. I'm willing to take the next generation back into this than I am to show my children God can make a way. We don't realize that the decisions that we make when we we move ourselves back, that we're handing that decision to the next generation. Now, listen, here's what's heavy about this kind of going back and forth between tonight and what I preached on Friday night. It was the children of those men that had to get into covenant, and they were the ones that crossed over. Uh, It was all the men 20 years and older. That died in the wilderness that were men that turned their back on God in the wilderness. Those men died. It was their children. Listen, the crossover generation would have been lost in Egypt if they would have went back at the miracle. Am I making, is that clear enough? And so the issue is that when we start seeing ourselves Less than God sees us. And the sad thing, the enemy was telling the truth about them. They're greater than we are. And God's like, yes, they are. Yes, they are. But I can't get them to see that. And when you're willing to buy that lie that you're not enough, you'll never be enough, then your kids have to live in that same promise. And your kids will be told for the rest of their life, while the enemy standing up there saying, boy, I'm glad, I'm sure glad they came back here. Because I thought they were greater than us. But now we got their kids and so. And it only has to happen one time for Pentecost to disappear. That's it. We're one generation from extinction. All we have to do is get enough people to stop believing what the enemy knows about you. And we'll lose a whole generation of apostolics. We hear this stuff. The enemy tells us. That's not necessary. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to be separated unto God. You don't have to be holy. It, it ain't about that. Don't even worry about that, that. That's not necessary anymore. So we get over here on a dangerous line with our kids. And we're like, well, I know pastor teaches it. But I personally. <laughs> I mean. I know that's what we have to do to be on the platform, but I personally—and so we're just telling our kids, "Come, come on, just come try slavery, Luke. Just come—not enough that you're really a slave. Just like, just come over here and see if you like it." And and we spend our lives. How sad? Can you imagine? What, what went into the minds of their kids And I hope I'm not losing everybody right here Because I'm trying to just walk through this softly But what were their kids thinking While they're picking manna out of their teeth When their moms and dads are standing there saying Oh leeks and onions and garlic Their kids are like I've never tasted that And so Bishop They're putting wonder in the minds of their children While they're eating on the goodness of the Lord, their kids are like, Leeks? What's that? Onion? Garlic? I've never had that. Instead of saying to them, Do you know what you're chewing on right now? You're chewing on a miracle. This is not just. This is not just coriander seed. No, no, no. You are digesting a miracle from God. The goodness of the Lord is upon you, and I want to tell you that Egypt had some leek and onion and garlic, but you don't ever want to taste that. Oh man! Come on now. So what? What do you sacrifice? When you refuse to believe what the enemy already knows about you. Because as long as you believe you're not enough, guess what your kids are going to believe? And as long as you don't believe that holiness is enough, guess what your kids are going to believe? And as long as you're never satisfied with the miraculous and all you talk about is the way it used to be with leek and onion and garlic, what are your kids going to... What, Make your kids hungry. So, this, oh Lord, this is such a powerful chapter. I really wish I could go deep. I'm, I'm gonna have to hurry. He said, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. That is the enemy's opinion of them. Unbelievable. I've always said, God, I want to I want to see myself the way you see me. But I wonder what would happen if we would start seeing ourselves the way the enemy sees us. You are the biggest threat to their kingdom. You're the only thing that can fight off the powers of hell. You are hell's worst nightmare. So watch this now. Verse 10. Come on. Let us deal wisely. Oh man, this word is so deep. We've got to deal with them in such a wise manner and be careful with every step we take or they're going to start realizing who they are. Let's get them so suppressed and so oppressed that multiplication is not even an option. Listen, read the words that came out of his mouth himself. He was not worried about them taking up all of the, the food of the land. That, no, no. He wasn't worried about them taking all the livestock. No, no. He said, I'm afraid of war. Are you seeing that? He said, I'm afraid they're going to multiply and find out they can beat the thunder out of us. He said, I'm afraid they're going to fight, set themselves free, and get themselves up out of the land. He said, I am afraid that if we don't deal wisely with them, that they're going to realize they don't have to stay here. (laughs) Think about that. Like, I'm scared to death they're going to find out we don't really control them. Oh God man, I wish somebody could get this right now. I'm, I'm just want to throw this over here to you and let you preach it, Bishop. I'm afraid they're going to find out. They don't have to stay here? Because once they decide, they don't want to stay here? We're done. It's over. The favor of God is on them. When they finally see they don't belong to us, they can leave any anytime they want to leave. and that is the power of deliverance. The enemy already knows that you can be free. So I, I got deal I got to deal wisely so. We're gonna do it, we're gonna do it wisely. How are we gonna do it? Verse eleven, so they set taskmasters. Put taskmasters over them. How do we do it? Oh my goodness. I wish I had time to really break this down. I'm gonna give you the short version. The taskmaster was divided up. They didn't they didn't have a taskmaster over everybody. You understand what I'm saying? They had a taskmaster over this group, taskmaster over this group. They start dividing them up into small groups. Oh, Lord, I'm about to preach and don't even mean to. So the way we're going to do this is we're going to take all of them apart as a unit. And start putting people over small groups of them to say, you're not enough and you'll never be enough, because as a whole, they'll start seeing who they are. And people think that this end time thing was what this this virus and all this stuff was. Was not a plan of the enemy to divide the church? How are we going to do it wisely? We're going to get them in small groups and let taskmasters tell small groups, you're not enough. We're going to tell this group, you're not enough. We own you. We'll destroy you. The taskmasters are going back up here and he's saying, we got got to be wise. If we don't keep them separated and we don't keep them in isolation and we don't keep them away from each other, they're going to know who they are. Taskmasters taskmasters to afflict them. They're not going to have a taskmaster to afflict all of them. They've got to get taskmasters in small groups. This guy's got ten. This guy's got ten. Because if I keep this ten isolated from this ten, then this ten can't testify to that ten. If we come together, we can do this. So they use division. Division. Divide and conquer. Because if they ever get together, They're going to get it together And that's why the enemy wants the church To be divided in the end time Over schisms and schisms And we've got taskmasters that rule church By church And click by click And group by group And we don't even realize what he's doing And he's separating us And isolating us Because if we ever get together Want some Bible for it? Go to the book of Acts, the second chapter. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, this preaches itself, saints. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, Acts chapter 2. They were all with one accord. What? No taskmasters. No isolation. When they come. Together. Go ahead to verse two. S- suddenly, when they got together, one mind, one accord, one place, one focus. God said, Woo. I think I'm ready to send a suddenly. Do you hear, you hear that? Yeah, I, I think I do. I, well, I, I feel I, there's something happening. And the Bible said there appeared unto them. Yeah. Cloven tongues like as a fire. Amen. And it said upon each of them. And they were all filled. The language is not, okay, let's separate. I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really fond of you. So I'm going to go over here to my own upper room, do my own gig. Good luck finding 120 people to sit in the same room for 7 to 10 days and not, not be fussing. Good luck. Because I have three that sleep in separate rooms. They are not in one mind of one accord. (laughs) You took my hairspray. That's my hairspray. No, that's my hairspray. No. And then Jocelyn, the referee. Oh. Could we all just pray right now? I'm gonna pray. (laughs) Sister Kelly said, Pray for mine while you're at it. You understand what I'm saying to you tonight? Let's do this wisely. What is the wisest way that the enemy can keep us from realizing what he thinks about us? I'm going to separate them up. I'm going to get taskmasters yeah. that are nothing but constant reminders to them, you will never be enough. Man, that's good. Ever. Ever. Right. <laughs> Please get me out of this I'm so sick of this I'm so sick of what the enemy's doing to me I'm so sick of it Oh but let's just Let's just Can we read the rest of the story So they put taskmasters over Verse 11 Of Exodus 1 They set over them taskmasters To afflict them With their burdens And they built for Pharaoh Treasure cities Python and Ramesses Verse 12 But the more they afflicted them. Listen to this language. The more they multiplied and grew. So what makes the difference? Here's the problem. The more they grow, the taskmaster has less control over the group. We're growing and we're multiplying. And the taskmaster start looking up one day and saying, uh... I feel like I'm losing control because the more I tell these people they're not enough, they keep growing. My grip is not as tight as it used to be because I tried to tell them that I tried to tell them they weren't. But Pharaoh, honest, honest, when I came back, it's like we tried to stop them, but they keep growing. How do you know these conversations happened? Because the word said they were grieved. They're having conversations saying, there's nothing we can do to stop these people. We've tried everything we know to do. We've pulled every trick we've got out of the book. And the more we afflict them, the more God grows them. The more we press them, the more God blesses them. Can I just tell you what I know in the Holy Ghost tonight? The enemy is running out of options for you. He's given you his best shot. He sent a global pandemic and we're still growing. He tried everything he could to tear us apart and we're still growing. He's running out of options. Let's Let's stand together. They finally started getting to the place where they were running out of options to keep them oppressed. Uh And when they got to the place that they had multiplied so greatly, come back together again, began to work together as a unit. Finally, the Lord, through history, he says, All right, tell you how I'm going to do this. (laughs) They're going to try to kill all the babies. Oh, God, I wish I had time. They're going to try to kill all the babies. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get one. They're trying to do this wisely. But I'm going to get one, put my hand on his life, and his mama's going to put him in a little ark, going to put him in the water, and I'm going to give him favor with Pharaoh's daughter. Throw all the babies in the Nile. And his mom said, oh, I tell you what, I ain't putting my baby in there just cause Pharaoh said to do it. Well, well. Boy, that'd yeah. preach if I had time. Yes, sir. Everybody else was doing it. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, right. <laughs> throw your baby to the- she, said, good, good idea. she said, if I'm gonna have to do this, I'm at least gonna protect him. Yeah. And God said, My hands on him. Yes. My hands on him. The Bible said that Pharaoh's daughter was bathing up the way with some of her handmaids, and the Lord just took that little ark and right up in the bulrushes. Pulled him right up there in the cattails and reached down and pinched him on the side a little bit. Angel reached down and just kind of pinched him. He said, What? Did you hear something? I think I I did. They walk over there, What is this? Don't say anything to anybody. Just get the baby and bring them up here to me. Watch. Watch. The more they oppressed him, the more they multiplied and grew. And God said, I'm going to raise up their deliverer. I'm going to make you feed their deliverance. You've been trying to kill them. You've been trying to tear them down. So I'm going to put my hand on Moses, and he's going to be raised on your dime. I am laying up the inheritance of the wicked for the righteous. I'm going to put Moses in your house. You're going to have to bless him. You're going to have to love him. And when he walks out of Egypt, he's walking out with the wealth of Egypt. He's walking out. Where do you think the gold and the silver came from that they built the tabernacle in the wilderness with? It came from Egypt. Oh, man, if I had the lungs, the voice, and you had the time, we'd have a time tonight. Because I'm sick of the enemy telling you, you're never going to be enough. What the enemy needs to know tonight is you're about to start investing in what's going to set us free. Woo! Come on, believe that with me right now. Throw those hands up, your faith high.